3: Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect.
4: Start planning your trip at TNvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
3: Hey, this is Annie and you're listening to stuff I'm never told you. And today, we're going to do a bit of a roundtable in classic, sminty fashion. We are recording this the day after the Oscars, so we kind of missed the what we call in the biz, a tentpole event. But we're going to be talking about um, women and gender in production, in television production and movie production. And I am joined by two fantastic people for this conversation. I'm so excited. Could
5: both of you introduce yourselves? My name is Erin. I am an onset dresser, uh, sometimes an assistant prop master or a prop person, and I kind of got my set legs in the AD department, but these days I'm home with a baby. And I'm
1: Angela. I am a director and worked as a First AD for a long time, and I had a baby a long time ago. My babies are old. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And we will be talking about that, what it's like to be a mom and a new mom in, in the industry. Um, and as I've mentioned on the show, outside of this whole podcasting thing, I am also an actor. Um, and some I've done some writing. So I've got some stories too. Uh, I used to do cinema, cinematography actually, like oh. low, 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 low key. <laughs> but great. I do have some experience in that. Um, and we're, yeah, we're going to be talking about what it's like as a woman to work in production and all kinds of things that tangentially come off of that. But first, let's look at some numbers because there, there are a couple of reasons why we're talking about this. Um, this office, where we are recording from now, is located in Atlanta, Georgia. And due to some tax incentives passed in 2008, um, Georgia, Atlanta, it's kind of become the Hollywood of the South. Um, seriously, so much stuff is filmed here. Every other day, I see those yellow signs that indicate that something is filming. Big stuff, small stuff, TV, movies, all kinds of things. From 2017 to June 2018, Georgia film and television production accounted for 455 productions, $2.7 billion in direct spending, and that 455 is just the stuff that qualified for the tax incentive, um, which you have to spend $500,000 in the state for a 30% tax credit. And worth noting is that $2.7 billion number is a little squidgy and up for debate. Some say it's probably half that, but in either case, it's a lot. Um, it doesn't take into account tourism. Like <laughs> We have uh, buses that drive around now. It's like, that's oh, where The Walking Dead is filmed. Um, and the infrastructures that have been built up to support the industry. According to the Motion Picture Association of America, 92,100 jobs and nearly $4.6 billion in total wages in Georgia has come about as a result of the entertainment industry here. But all of that said, there are some... Pretty negative stats, shall we say. Um, And to reiterate, women do make up 50% of movie goers. We do not see that reflected on screen. In 2017, women made up 24% of protagonists. And we also don't see it reflected behind the scenes. Statistics from a 2017 report called Celluloid Ceiling found that of the top 100 grossing films, women made up 4% of directors or possibly 8%, but either way, not even breaking double digits. Only five women have been nominated for Best Director at the Oscars, and only one woman has won. Only four were led by a woman of color. Female directors also face what is called a financial cliff in movies and TV. They're more likely to be involved in smaller projects as opposed to bigger budget productions. The same is true of solo female protagonist. I also found this stat interesting. Male characters were more likely than females to have work related goals, 42% versus 34%. Female characters were more likely than males to have goals related to their personal lives, 20% versus 13%. Women make up 15% of the writers, only 3% of cinematographers. Only one woman has ever been nominated for the cinematography category at the Oscars. 18% of producers, 18% of executive producers, 14% of editors. Those are some disheartening, depressing stats. Mm -hmm. Movies with at least one female director were more likely to employ a diverse workforce. And if we look at TV, according to the UCLA in 2016 to 2017, quote, only 27% of all creators, directors, writers, producers, executive producers, editors, and directors of photography working on broadcast network, cable, and streaming programs were women. 97% of the programs considered had no women directors of photography 86% had no women directors, 76% had no women editors, 75% had no women creators, 74% had no women writers, 25% had no women producers, and 22% had no women executive producers. So that's kind of where we are. Yeah. With your experience in the industry, both of you, does this, I mean, is this what you see reflected in projects that you've worked on? Yes. (laughs) It's a very certain yes. <laughs> in
1: I mean, I, I, work mostly in, I work mostly in television, so the, those are all numbers for features. I know that the Director's Guild does numbers um, for episode of television, 12% female. Um, I'm a black woman. I think it was two, every year it jumps between 2 to 3% women of color. Mm-hmm. Part of the behind-the-scenes things we have going on now, too, is that the, the fight for equality for women sometimes is not as intersectional as it needs to be and turns into a, like, I see, I'll be in the group of women that are fighting for equality, and then somebody will say something about, well, these men of color are getting more whatever, and then it turns into, like, a, it's like it needs to be intersectional right, in right. order for it to be successful. And it exactly. feels like the people who, when women win... That it feels like white women are the ones that are winning. So when you yeah. see the numbers, it's mostly white women too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's something that's important that we talk about. Is not just how many women, yes. but how many women of color are breaking through because there's a lot of us out there too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> you know,
1: and trying to trying to do it. And there's a, you know, I think um, a lot of the access programs that they have in television have now started to branch off into feature films, which is great. But I think there needs to be more efforts below the line um, because editors and writers are the ones who move up to become directors. A lot of times can move up to become directors. Um, DPs, uh, you know, for this is for episodic television. The, the top three categories of people that move up to, you know, as first-time directors for, for episodic TV are DPs, editors, and writers. And if most of those are white men, um, and, and ADs, I'm sorry, first ADs, Um, And if most of them are white men, then it's like, then yes, we need to get more women and people of color in there. But if like getting them into the pipeline is where it's important. And if people like Aaron are bullied, for lack of a better word, out of a department because you're because of sexism or because of racism, then then you've lost that person. And I think that's a lot of the complaints that I hear from women of all shades Mm -hmm. is that, well, I It's fine for this me too, but I've already left the business. It's fine that this is finally coming to light, but I already missed, you know, now Mm -hmm. I'm 60 years old and missed my chance. Yeah. Or, you know, what can we do? I think it needs to be not just, oh, we need more people that are up at these top level levels. I think we need people on all floors of more women and more people of colors in order Mm -hmm. to get a more diverse base of people.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. Absolutely yeah um when i I mean my experience has been in the in my world of acting like I have encountered I have lost jobs because I turned down unwanted advances, and i it breaks my heart because I think of people who think this is this is my only chance I have to go along with this, and then i I guarantee you they probably didn't get it anyway um and just yeah having this your career impacted by by harassment and by bullying and um, it, it maintains this status quo and <laughs> it just really makes me angry that that you, you know, you're ending up where perhaps you, you didn't think but not for a good reason. <laughs> like mm-hmm. someone basically forced you out of a career choice.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's also made me kind of wary of uh, accepting jobs with men I don't know. I tend to say yes to the jobs where uh, my superiors are women or my superiors are um, men that I know to be good people who, um, you know, are not sexist and who believe in me and think that uh, there's not a thing that I can't do that any guy could do, you know, um, that are empowering. So, yeah, yeah, I've um, I've been called all kinds of names for nothing that I even did uh, at work. This was because I wouldn't take this person um, partying on a weekend. Wow. Yeah, I got fired for it. And uh it was all over text. Um I actually wound up with my first onset dressing gig right after that on your show, Angela. Aw. Yeah. was <laughs> that? Was that uh, Be Mary Jane? Yeah. Okay. It was. And it was just it felt so good to go from that to like seeing you on set. And I remember I like, I like shed like some tears of happiness. I was just so like it felt like I was just coming home and I was safe and my uh one of my dear friends who's kind of a big sister of mine um she and her sister uh both worked as set decorators for a long time and now they have their own production company and they are um they're trying to do more uh producing and directing themselves but uh yeah i i i was with them for years as their on set dresser and uh it was a really good place to be, and on-set dressing is a is a job that a lot of people think of as being kind of a man's job, because <laughs> you're doing a lot of heavy lifting and working with a lot of tools and you know, climbing ladders and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. But um, I wound up getting hired repeatedly, not just by them, but by by uh, by good men. Because um, I was smarter than a lot of the burly guys (laughs) that could, you know, probably lift more than I could. I I knew how a set worked, and Mm -hmm. I learned how a set worked from people like Angela. You know, I could, I I was smart. So um, I really think that uh, people need to start looking beyond the brawn and realizing that women have a lot going on that make us a very integral, important part of a set. Uh, women can see past the hubris and see past the, uh, making the shot the number one priority. P- women are able to see that these are people, that these are people that are working, that are trying to make this happen as a team. And the people that make the movie are the most important part of it. So I also wanted to have a friend come in who is a a trans filmmaker and she has the most interesting uh, point of view. Uh, She started filmmaking um, when she was still presenting as a man and now she's presenting as a woman. So she's told me the, the difference in treatment that she has gotten from back then to now.
1: But I, my only comment is that when you said women can see past the hubris, I, I, to me, I think it's personality. Yeah, because uh, there's men that are out there that are just as is aware that it's not we're not saving lives. We're just making a movie. So yeah. let's keep like have let's let's put on a show, kids. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to like do anything stupid or beat people up or you know. Even as a director, I'm like, you know, could I do another take? Sure. Will I? No, because we all need to go home.
5: <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> right. And just because I have, we're budgeted for 12 hours and it's only been 11 and a half, it's still been 11 and a half hours. Let's yeah. go, you know? Yeah. So to me, I feel that with this, one of the advantages of this Me Too movement, which, you know, originally started with just about sexual harassment has now branched into just humane treatment of human mm-hmm. beings right. where people are recognizing that you just can't be an ass, you know, right. like, sorry, yeah. bleep. bleep. <laughs> you just can't be a jerk, yeah. you know, yeah. all the time and expect people to say, oh, well, they're a genius at what they do, so it's okay. Now yeah. we don't care how much of a genius you are. Right. You have to treat people with respect. Right. right. So the fact that that now is... Seems to be the default. It's great. Like I was the first AD on a show called Atlanta, which Donald Glover. I don't know if everybody seems to Atlanta Woo! knows about it. Woo-hoo. <laughs> right, and, and they first won like the Golden Globe, and they got all this like stuff, and you know they got the Emmy, and I was like, yeah, that's nice, but like, he, like Donald brought the Emmy to work so people could take pictures of it, which was he literally just left it out on a table and then put for the gram on Aww, it. It was really cute. Hell. And I had to go in his office or something, and I was like, hey, I just have to tell you, like, the Emmy's cool and everything, but in 20—at that point, i had have been in the business like 23 years ago. In 23 years of being on sets, this is the only set I've never been mansplained on. The only one. Wow. And this is a show about dudes that's run by dudes. I'm usually the only woman in the uh, scout van unless the set decorator is along for the ride. Um, it's all dudes all day long, mm-hmm. and I say, "Hey, we should do this," and they say, "Okay." And there's no second guessing or no wondering whether I know what I talk I'm talking about. And obviously, the producer, if they want to weigh in, they'll do what they want to do. But you we can, you know, as women, we know the difference between asking a question mm-hmm. or f- checking up on whether or not I know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. or not trusting that I know what I'm talking about. Right. I, had, I had trust on that show that I was never shown in any other show before. And, and it's funny. Like, we did the pilot for that. It was almost entirely a female AD staff. First, second, and second, second were all females, all of the PAs, but one were female. And, and a mix of, of women of color and, and white women in terms of the mix of people. And at the end, people were, as a pilot, they were like, That's the, this is the best, most efficient run set we've ever been on. And yes. I was like, this is the first time we've been allowed to just do it. That's why. Yeah. You know? And it wasn't like I was like, I'm going to have an all-female crew. It was oh, who's my favorite second second AD? And I called Rhonda. I called Rhonda. And I go, oh, who else is my favorite second second? I call, and everybody that I was my favorites that I always call first, all were available. So it wasn't that I had this secret plan sure. to right, right. make it all female. Right. I just called the people that I like working with that I know work well with me because, right. again, like I've worked with good, really good second ADs that were male that I would have to, like, not handle because I don't deal with that kind of crap, but that I would have to check because they were being like mean to some of the other mm-hmm. people in the department mm-hmm. or they would say okay if I said I could do this they'd be like they would say oh but we should do this and I'm like no do this and they go okay and I would have to say okay say say okay one more time mm. and see and see which one of us still has a job right you know <laughs> yeah so having to deal with that it's just, you know, mm-hmm. if, if Rhonda says okay, then I know it's just Rhonda being Rhonda. I know it's not any kind of sexy yeah. thing.
5: <laughs> <Right. Sure. laughs> Rhonda's allowed to do that too, because she's she's good. <laughs> she is. Yeah, you're right. I should there are some absolutely, absolutely phenomenal men that um, that we work with. I've yet to meet a key grip in Atlanta I don't like. No, I don't know. There's something about they, the Atlanta yes. grips that are just there's <laughs>
1: There's something just absolutely lovely and delightful. And even if they're not like delightful, they're just just good guys. The grip departments I found.
5: Yes, the gaffers too.
1: Gaffers too, yes.
5: Cornwall. I mean, we really do have a wonderful family of people here I in think Atlanta. So. Yeah. I mean, oh. but I also
1: think Atlanta, because I was in LA for about 12 years of working, and I think in LA, it was like people have been doing it enough that it's like just the job. Mm-hmm. I think the business here is new enough that people are like, we get to work on a movie today. Sure. Like, even if they've been doing it for a long time. There's a joy of, isn't it cool that we're doing this and not, like, working at McDonald's, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Or being an accountant or whatever jobby job, job yeah. other people have. Like, there's still a joy to it. And that's mm-hmm. why I remember hearing a story back when we first got the incentives, when people were first, in L.A., people were first flooding the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where some, you know, cocky, mean, screamy DP yelled at one of the guys on the set in a very disrespectful way and the grip was like, uh, all right, we're going to just take our ball and go home. Bye. Guys. And all the grips mm-hmm. just left. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And I was like, that's the difference. In Atlanta, in L.A., they would have yelled back and it would have just been one of those sets that had a bunch of testosterone in it. And mm-hmm. here they're like, we're going to take our ball and go home. Mm-hmm. Go find someone who's going to put up with that because we're not going to be treated like that. Yeah. So, I dig that.
5: I do too. I have, So, I feel like I should I should give credit to at least one man that I've worked with um <laughs> because <laughs> uh, I have had some amazing, amazing um experiences working with men that really did care about me and treated me like a daughter or a sister or a true friend. and uh, And I've had some really good encounters with um with with male celebrities as well. And the one that pops into my head, is anthony hopkins oh really is i think he's a a walking saint he's an earth angel um that is a person that really knows how to stand up for the crew that was like his you know besides making a good movie that was his main goal was was supporting the crew um the first day he would come in with a call sheet with his assistant And he would go around and personally introduce himself to every single person on the crew from the additional PA to to transpo to, you know, the prop third, everybody, everybody. And he memorized every single person's name, everybody's. And uh, he would hold meetings saying, "I, I want you all to know that the crew Is doing an amazing job, and he'd talk about each department and how they were doing, and he said, but you know what? As actors, we need to step it up. (laughs) We need to tighten up and be more professional. And then, you know, at the end of the movie, he held a meeting, and he said in (laughs) in front of the producers, I want you all to know that there were no producers on this movie. The crew produced this movie, and I could not be any more grateful to work with all of you. That was his last day of shooting. But uh yeah, just a a wonderful guy always looking out for um the well-being of others. So I had to I have to put that in there just to give credit where credit's due. You know, there are some wonderful, wonderful men out there in this film <laughs> industry. <laughs> it's true. And I mean lately
3: all all we hear about is the not so good ones. Um and one of the things that um we kind of touched on throughout this episode is this the issue of like Me Too and harassment. And something that I have encountered is that I've worked on indie movies. Plenty of them were wonderful, but some of them were not. And there's no like HR that you can go to. There's no one to really advocate on your behalf. So you sort of have to either find a way to deal with it leave, <laughs> or, or maybe talk to someone else that, that, can, that can help you, but uh, that is something that is definitely a problem on film sets and TV sets, and in general, in production. Um, is that something that uh, either of you have, have experienced?
5: Well, I can tell you, even on a, a big-budget movie, if you have an incident that does go up to HR, and this was pre-Me Too movement it doesn't necessarily always help you anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the incident I had been talking about that kind of bullied me out of that department, um, it it did. It went all the way up to the HR department of uh, a very big studio. I had legal uh, documents sent to me offering me my job back like I would want to work with this person again, but um, it was a big thing. I had people... Producers telling me that they were absolutely horrified that this happened, that they have daughters in the film industry, and they know how much harder we work. And and it is true. We really have to prove ourselves um, every second of the day. And, yeah, so, I mean, all this stuff went down. I wasn't, uh, I, I, I had people that came out saying that they were protecting me, by um, only allowing me to speak to certain people um, with their supervision. And I was really naive back then um, and uh, believed that. um, It had been kind of a a long thing coming. Um, I'd been getting all kinds of texts that were about having a threesome with this man and... um, haven't I seen his IMDB? Don't I want to take my career to the next level? Um, he would use uh, racial, uh, misogynistic, um, and homophobic slurs a lot, which made me feel really uncomfortable. And this is this is all over text. And um, it, the movie hadn't even started yet. This is the other part about it. Hadn't even started. I'd worked with this guy for maybe three weeks on... Um, on a movie that came through Atlanta a long time ago uh, for a couple weeks. And he thought for some reason because I I have tattoos and I play drums in punk rock bands that he could talk to me like this and um, make all these, you know, like sexual comments and that kind of thing. And he would ask me where to find blow, where to find prostitutes, why he thinks I would know. I have no idea. <laughs> um... So, yeah, so he started making me feel very uncomfortable and kept nagging me and nagging me and nagging me to go pick him up in my car, take him partying. And at the time, I had a boyfriend, and I was also in a band, but I didn't want to. I mean, every, everything in me was going, no, this is not going to end well. Um, and finally, I said, "You know, I, I I can't. I'm going to bed, and I have pre- I have band practice in the morning." And that's when the slew of te- texts came through, calling me a f and telling me, "You know, my f- is too dry to be on his team." And uh, f- she's, "You're no professional." Um, all kinds of threats about my career. And um, I didn't know what to do. I cried a lot. Um, talked to. Um, some of my 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 big sisters in the industry, and handed it over to my union. And then uh, got called into the office. Everybody hid in the, it was weird. They cleared the offices out, had everybody hide in their respective offices, went straight to the producer's office with my phone with the text to prove that I hadn't fabricated them. And that's when they told me how sorry they were. And, um, you know, I said, I just, I want to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else. Oh, yes, we're just horrified. You know, We, I have a daughter that works in the film business. I know how hard it is for for women. I was then told by somebody who was supposed to be protecting me that if I went any further with this, that I would be blackballed from working for this particular Uh, big studio and also told that there is no lawyer that I could ever hire that would ever be able to stand up to the lawyers at this big studio. And there was nothing in me that was thinking, I want to sue. I want to get money for this. Mm -hmm. All I wanted was for this guy to not work on this show. Mm -hmm. And I wanted him to learn a lesson and not do this to anybody else. Well, he kept his job And my friend, who was to be the, um, who was the assistant prop master, um, a woman, I was forbid from talking to her. And I was so young and naive and stupid then. Like, I had, like, what? (laughs) Um, So I didn't talk to her for months. And and this person wound up making her life a living hell. Um, They had um, a man of color come on. And he kept asking him where to find cocaine and and prostitutes. My friend, who's a woman who stayed on the show, quit with like one week left because he was just so horrible to her. Um, Other women I know that came in unknowingly, you know, uh, wound up being um, harassed and traumatized. And this man continues to work. And the weird thing is that after all of that, he recommends me to people to this day. I don't know why or what he's doing or what kind of mind game this is. Um, And then I, uh, I was dumb enough to work for his brother on a different show who told me he was nothing like his brother. And this man went and had his own backhanded way of absolutely ruining my life for three months. And, Messed with my my paychecks. I would have paychecks that came back with um, a way lower rate than when I started with. I had uh, my position messed with. I had been told that I would be assistant prop master after um, the prop master got fired by the producers, and also there had been a big safety incident that happened, um, and. A lot of people left because of that, and I wanted to leave too. And um, they said, we'll make you the assistant prop master. And I think it was just because there was no continuity without me. Mm -hmm. So they had me as assistant prop master for a week. I brought in one of my great friends who's a prop person and production designer, and now she's working as a, a producer sometimes and screenwriter. Had her come in, and we crushed it for a week. And then all of a sudden, I find out he's bringing in this guy from LA because he can't find anybody. It reminded me of your story, Angela. <laughs> he can't find anybody in Atlanta. Sure, both.
3: Bullsh- yeah.
5: So um, this guy comes in, and immediately things are weird. He shows up with assistant prop master on his badge. He's on, you know, on set, and we're both like running the props on set. It's the assistant prop master's job to run set. And the third kind of does a lot of prep and, you know, um, keeps the truck and, you know, typically. Um, So slowly but surely, uh, this guy kind of took over my job. My pay got lowered. The prop master would come by in a big group of people when I was doing my job and say something like, you got a zit on your face. (laughs) Um, Or he would come and he would hug me a little bit too long and tell me all these people are crazy when I would ask him why my paycheck got lowered. So anyway, decided never to work with this guy again. My friend, who's a guy, went and and worked with him on the next show and decided to bring on an additional prop person who's a woman. And this man grabbed my friend and said, you never bring women on to our crew. I hate working with women. Yeah, I, I, so I decided I never, I never wanted to let anybody make my life miserable for that long again. And I never wanted to let anybody make me cry again. And I would never again not stand up for myself or for anybody else um, who was put in that position. And I'm grateful to the Me Too movement. It has been very triggering: <laughs> Sure, yeah. I've, you know, I, I've experienced all kinds of um, sexism and uncomfortable situations, so many that I can't even remember all of them. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, but I think it's time to be strong and to stand up and stand up for one another. And if you know that somebody has hurt someone else, don't go work for them. Yeah. you know, um, don't hire them. Don't hire them. Don't enable them.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: um, but unfortunately, there is a lot of uh, fear because people want to keep their jobs. People need to work. People need to, you know, feed their kids, yeah. um we have
3: a lot more to talk about in this in this conversation. But first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. It's so unfortunate that uh, this is that this is something that was kind of just accepted and expected for a while. I'm glad that we're talking about it more, but it's sort of like this has been going on forever. I can't believe when people are shocked i'm like are you shocked really <laughs> um, <laughs> but so there's a lot of things that uh in that in that conversation that I wanted to go back to, and one is um. So you you're both moms, working yeah. in this industry, um, and I am not not a mom. So I, I was wondering if you could share what that has been like. Um,
1: my oldest is ten. Mm-hmm. I know Aaron's a newer mom than I am. Um, You know, women are kind of sold this, the whole myth of we can do everything and you can't. Yeah. And I think if you go in with your eyes open that you can't do everything, then you'll be much happier. I think the women who drive themselves crazy are the ones who try to do everything and then get mad. Um, Like, your time is a pie. Mm -hmm. So you can't spend all your time at work and all your time with your kids. So if you spend all your time at work, you're not spending time with your kid, and your kid is only going to be, you know, three years old and 55 days, you know, for that one moment, and then he's going to be three years old and 56 days, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for both, you know, I'm lucky that I have a supportive partner and that we agreed that one of us would try to stay home. So... This business being freelance, my husband works in reality television. Um, We try to take jobs with minimal overlap so that both of us aren't working at the same time. And uh, until the kids are kind of old enough to manage without us needing to be there all the time, we'll probably keep that rhythm. I think it's important, like, there are job opportunities I've had to turn down because I couldn't be away from the kids. Um, I'm lucky that a lot of the directing jobs I've gotten have been here, but like and like in a week I'm on a plane to Atlanta I mean to Los Angeles for a week and a half for another job. Um, so I try to only take jobs like there's another job that they're like, Hey, this show was really interested in you, but I would be gone for a month and a half that mm-hmm. I would have to say no to. So I would probably be I would definitely be much further faster in my career if I did not have kids.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: But that's a swap that I went in with my eyes open knowing was going to happen, so I have to be okay with that, and I'm okay with that. I'm still having a good time. (laughs) Um, And my kids are, you know, and I think part of it too is this business is not sustainable if both parents, If I, in my opinion, if both parents are working full-time and you have the kids Mm -hmm. that are young, it just does not work. Somebody has to be the one who works less Mm -hmm. or doesn't work at all to be able to make sure your kids aren't crazy. Because you either pay you take the time now <laughs> mm-hmm. or you take the time when they're nineteen and they have to go to rehab. Yeah. Like there's or you know, or have whatever other problems that they could have mm-hmm. because no one was there making sure that they felt um, like all the emotional milestones that are important for yeah. kids are that's what parents need to be there for. All the educational stuff school can cover whether they get two plus two. Right. But the emotional milestones are our job. Yep. Mm-hmm.
5: yeah, mm-hmm.
1: That's my opinion.
5: Anyway. Yeah, I agree. Um any day that I go to work is a day I do not see my daughter at all. Um, she's 26 months old, um, so she's just getting into her little terrible twos, but, you know, she is she's all about mom right now, and um, I completely agree with what you said, like, you can either put in the time now or put in the time when they're older and, you know, they, they need some help because, you know, mom. Wasn't there, or or both of their parents weren't there. Yeah, because I went back to work when my oldest
1: was six months. Oh. Yeah, but my husband was home. Okay. So it's that's—somebody was home that was familiar that he had stability and could look in his eyes and say, I'm glad you're here and make sure that everything was okay. Yeah. Do I wish I could have stayed home? Yeah, sure. But I also really love my job. Right. And I also feel that it's really important that my kids have both been to set to see what mom does. Yeah. So they understand that when I'm going, I'm not just going into some, like, schlubby, yucky, horrible— Like, this is—look yeah. at mom kicking ass out yes, here. Exactly. Because you need to understand that this is how we get—you want a PlayStation? This is how we got the mm-hmm. PlayStation. <laughs> mom out here mm-hmm. kicking ass on set is how we got the PlayStation. You want it— You know, go all these fancy places. Like, mom has to go to work to do that, you know. So if you want me to stay home and bake cookies, I can. But not this week. But we can do it next week. You know, we can do that. So they, you know, and they hate it. They're like, oh, you got to go to work. They get mad. Mm -hmm. Because there is. I mean, even though, you know, there's gender differences in how, but that's not always according to gender, but there's differences in how each parent parents Mm -hmm. and whatever that parent isn't there whatever that parent brings is not there Mm -hmm. right so it's not that they need their mommy like it's a female thing as Mm -hmm. much as it is they need me because there's specific things that i do Mm -hmm. that rob doesn't and there's things that he does that i don't do right um you know like they would never you know make it to the skateboard park if it was up to me because i can't skate (laughs) you know I'm yeah. not, and I'm not, I don't know how to show him, and I'd be like, no, you're going to cry. Yeah. So that's, like, something they do with their dad, which is awesome. But, yeah. you know, then I'm taking him to the puppet show. I don't know that he would right. be that nerding out on puppets or, you know, that kind of thing. Or, you know, or me. Like, I bought, like, a plastic pool and got it so the little one could jump off the deck into this, like, one foot of water. <laughs> you know, yeah. and just stupid stuff like that. So that's why I think it's nice to have both of us in the mix, but at least, you know, but one of us... Guarding the ship until the kids are kind of old enough to not take care of themselves, but to only need to check in to really know if everything's okay, yeah. you know what I mean like yeah. my ten year old if it was if I didn't have the six year old I would feel more comfortable with my ten year old if we had to get like someone like a nanny that was with him after school because i can I can check in with him and see how he's doing and be okay, but when they're six, they don't know what's going on right yeah. right so like when I got pregnant, I didn't tell anybody. I was, like, eight months pregnant. I got a job that I came in, and I literally wore, like, a baggy shirt and, like, scarves and stuff. <laughs> and, like, at the end—and and it's funny because I showed up. It was a, one was a commercial that I showed up on, and they are like, are you pregnant? And I was like—because for the interview, I showed up, and I, like, leaned over in the— like, I was interested, but it was leaning over so the shirt would billow and cover up my stomach. Aww. And then when I showed up for the job, I'm like, "Wait, well, you can't fire me now, right? Yeah. But in their minds, it's like, well, Angela— what can Angela do or not do? Right. And then they make the choice for you. So to me, that's what needs to change. But also I think that comes back to just being female of people are used to what they're used to. And sometimes it's not overt sexism like the guy who says, I don't like women on my set. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's subtle because you've never seen a woman first AD. When you do see one, there's something that doesn't sit right. It's like if you went to take your car in to get, like, a major overhaul to the engine and, like, the woman who came out was, you know, was a was a black woman that was, like, 30 years old and says, oh, okay, hi, I'm going to be the one that's going to fix your car. Everybody for a second would go, wait, you you work here? Are you not the receptionist person here? Because it's not what they're used to seeing. She could have grown up. She could be an engineer that builds cars for a living, and no one would care. In the back of their mind, the first thing is, wait, this doesn't look like the big Italian guy with the greasy fingers, you know, or what Mm -hmm. they're used to seeing fixing cars, right? Mm -hmm. So once they get used to seeing it, then they're just used to it. Then they don't. Like, I don't get as much pushback. I still get pushback. Don't get me wrong. But I don't get as much now, as I did in the beginning, where people would assume I was, like, hair. <laughs> I did, like, that came on a... I mean, not that that's a problem, but, like, why can't I... Why does, why when you see a black woman, why does it mean that I have to be the hair stylist? Right. Or a job uh, where they... I showed up and they thought I was the choreographer. Or it's like... And so I, I'm always... I'd be cutesy about it. I'm like, so what about me makes you think that, you know, that I'm not the first AD or I'm not the director? I mean, like the PA, who's like, "Hey, are you hair?" And I was like, "No, wow, I'm not hair." Well, I'm sorry, but this is a, this is like, what? What are you one of the extras? And I was like, "I'm sorry, what's your name?" He goes, "What's your name?" I was like, "I asked you first." He's like, "What?" He's like, "Why well, I asked you second?" I was like, "I'm Angela. I'm the first AD. What's your name?" <laughs> Ooh.
0: Oof.
1: And he told me, and he had, like, the worst, you know, crappiest lockup way, way, way <laughs> down the street. And I was like, I don't want to see you all day. <laughs> but, but what do you do when that guy is the producer? You can't do that. Yeah. Then you have no power, you know. So I think getting more women and people of color on sets yeah. is the first thing that we need to do so that it's not weird to see a woman that's directing or right. a woman that's holding the camera. Or I mean, I mean how many female operators do you know? Not many. Not many. Not many at all. Um, Female first 80s, not many. Not many. You know? And then when you get into women of color, it's even fewer. When you think of women gaffers, I think I've maybe seen, uh, and I've seen more in Georgia, actually, than I've seen when I was out in L.A., but in terms of female, like, grip and electric, not many. You know? Women tend to be... Hair, makeup, wardrobe, and uh, and uh, by the way, makeup artists make more per hour than hairdressers because traditionally makeup artists was a male job back in the day. <gasps> so their hourly rate is a is high, higher rate because typically that was a male job back in the wow, day. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. So you have these, and that's when they're talking about trying to make things fair. It's trying to have script supervisors or is a very important job, but traditionally is a female job. That's a job that should pay more. If that Mm -hmm. was a traditionally male job, it would pay more. Wow. Right. So it's about getting people used to seeing what they're not used to. And then they'll go, oh, then it's not about show me what you know. Mm -hmm. But even a few months ago, I mean, I won't say the show, but the producing director sat me down and says, hey, so, you know, you ever have problems with like people like mansplaining and that kind of thing? And this (laughs) is is why I do and I was like, Yeah, you know, that happens. Well, how do you deal with that? And I said, Well, um, as a woman, um, I'll get labeled hysterical if I get yelled if I yell and scream. And as a black woman, I'll be labeled the angry black woman. So I try to usually diffuse it with a few with humor is usually how I go to it. If it's really egregious, I'll I'll snap back, but like usually I'll try to say something to make sure that people understand, like, Hi, I know that you're here the I'm the director. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Like I know what I'm doing. It's, you know, whatever. And he goes, "Oh, good, because you know our our DP and our first AD um, have a reputation of being can be a little aggressive with their own agendas, especially with women directors." So I just wanted to give you the heads up. And then he proceeds to tell me a story about how he was with this other woman director, and he told her he should she should, she should shoot it a certain way, and she and he yelled she yelled at him. And I'm like, "So you're just told me a story about." you mansplaining somebody and her getting angry, and then you gave me a warning about your DP and first AD instead of telling them to stop it.
0: Right? You yeah. know?
1: And this is, like, in the last, like, six months, <sighs> you know? Yeah. So it's it's weird how it's, um, it's allowed. Yeah. Men are allowed. And I'm not saying that women should be allowed. Oh. Like, to me, parody is not 50% directors, 50% crew. To me, parody is me doing a crappy job and totally crapping the bed on a directing job and still getting hired back on the show. Mm-hmm. That's real parody, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. But I don't want that. I want everybody to do a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I and I feel that lowering the standards to women to what men have been allowed to get away with is the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. I feel like, because, I mean, I don't want to be able to, you know, pout. I, this the same DP that I was warned about would pout when he wouldn't get his way. And... You know what? Grown woman can pout, yeah. in a position of authority, and not be like, "Bitch, are you crazy?" Like, mm-hmm. like really. So, to me, it's about raising the overall level of respect in general on sets. But yes, but first things first is like just getting the getting more more people on the set in the first place.
5: Mm-hmm. You know, you reminded me of something that happened uh, last year. I was working on a show and. Uh, I came in as an additional set deck buyer. And the uh, the set decorator was a woman. Um, the buyer was a woman. Uh, we had a lot of people in there in the office that day talking, having a meeting. All women. Not intentional. It was just, you know, we all like working together. And I, so, some guy came in. And, he, you know, he, he's not a mean person or anything, but he said, oh, oh, am I not allowed in this girl party here? Oh. <laughs> and he left and we all said, how many times do we walk into rooms in this business that are filled with nothing but men? Do we say anything like that? Does it even, like, occur to us? Like, oh, uh, up to a party. I mean, but again, it's
1: because you're you're used to seeing it. Exactly. So when people aren't used to seeing it, that's when there's that's when there's the pushback. Right. But I've had when I was a first I've had director I had a, this one very well-known director who I would say, "Hey, we're behind, but I think if I slide this scene to this day, this is a light day. You can go ahead and you don't have to cut anything mm-hmm. and I think we will be fine." I'll go, "Oh, wait, wait, wait." Let's get the guys over and let's talk about it. Let's not just make decisions. Mm-hmm. And then he would call over the male DP and the male um, key grip and the male gaffer. And he would have me explain the situation to them all. And then they would all talk amongst themselves about what the best choice would. And then they would say, yeah, we should do this. And then he'd go, okay, so we'll do what Mike said. <sighs> and I would say, actually, that's, that's what I said mm-hmm. five minutes ago. Yeah. But okay, you know. Yeah. And I remember one time, and this would happen a lot, and I would always point out, that's what I said, and they would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I didn't care. He's a guest director. He's going to be gone in a week anyway. And one time, this, a grip was standing there, and this all went down, and he looked at me when they walked away, and I kind of just went, to myself. <laughs> and he goes, I've, I've read about that, and he goes, I've had women friends of mine tell me that these things happen, and I never believed it. He's like, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes... I wouldn't have believed that that really happens. He's like, Does that happens all the time. I'm like, it happens every day, like every day, and that was probably a few years ago. So, like, again, this face. There's something that's they're not used to taking mm-hmm. direction or information or truth from this face. They have right. to get someone to cosign. Because they're just not used to it. So the more of us that are out there doing it Mm -hmm. and kicking ass.
4: and And
1: I feel like there's a lot of responsibility. Like for me, it was really hard because I remember being on a set as a second and overhearing these two producers talking about how they really wanted this one black woman director. But this other black woman director they had worked with before didn't really do that great. So they were having, they like, oh, I don't know if we should bring this other one in there because this other one. And, I'm, and in my mind, I'm thinking, we had like five white dudes come in and we were terrible, but you didn't stop hiring white dudes. Yeah. Like, not the same woman, mind you, a totally different woman. And that stuck in my head. So in my mind, I was always overprepared and there was this weight that was on me of if I screw up, how many other women of color out there, and specifically black women, are not going to get the job because, like, because of me. Mm. So I would go in, and I was so stressed. And then one day I had like this epiphany of of when I kick ass, they'll never doubt hiring another black woman. So now I see it as a as a tool of power. Yeah, of I am the ambassador of black girl magic. Of you can see what yeah. I am, of what you see what I can do. Because if I've made it to this level of my career with all the bullshit that I had to put yeah. up with, like. I've already proven I'm—like, t- if you're going to go, oh, all things being equal, I had to put up with more crap to be equal, mm-hmm. so you know I'm better. Woo! And that's most women, same thing. Like, I I knew a white dude that said, I always hire the woman or the person of color if it's if it's, if it's a tie, because in order for it to be a tie, they had to work so much harder yeah. to get there. So yeah. it's not a tie anymore.
5: Yeah. That
1: means they—that's bre- that was, that's what breaks the tie. Yeah. I love you.
5: <laughs> I really do. Every set I have ever been on with you has been— such a well-run, efficient, lovely place to be. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I don't like mean people. I know. So do I, I handle
1: I that early.
5: You do. Yeah. You do. <laughs> but thank you. I, I'm kind of turning into... Like, you're, you've always been one of my role models. Aww. Now that I'm a mom, like, I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to get it. And I, and I don't put up with the mean people either.
1: <laughs> no, but it's funny, <laughs> though. But I do... I, that's... The tools that you use on a difficult toddler or a difficult five-year-old are the same ones you use on a difficult person. Yes, it's exactly the same skill set. So mm-hmm. I was recently on a set where one of the actors was very, very high maintenance. It was all very always stopping down production, always causing problems. And after my first scene with him, the key grip came over to me and he goes, "I can tell you're a good mommy <laughs> because you just mom the crap out of that guy." And I did. I have a special needs six-year-old, and I used all the tools and tricks you're supposed to use with kids who may have, like, some difficulty in processing information. And I used all of that stuff. I reflected things back to him. I made sure that, like, when he would—when he does this, you do this. You mirror them. There's things you can do to make people know that you're on their side and that they have power. And and that's—and that's—and I also say, like—and I don't know if you guys have to bleep this, but, like, part of, like, when there's a dick-swinging contest, like, I don't have a dick, so you win, Okay. <laughs> yeah. So let's so let's do what I said. You win. But let's go ahead and do what I said. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so then they feel like they've won because there's there was no uh, me going no, but you got you know we got to do it my way. I'd be like oh, and I just Jedi mind trick mom them to death, and then they they go okay, and it's fine.
5: Oh yeah. It kind of it kind of made me think like I'm having all these flashbacks of uh, carrying heavy furniture across a set, and some dude. Running over and literally taking the couch or the you know dresser or out whatever, of your hands out of my hands and the thing falls over. I had it perfectly balanced with this other woman that I am carrying it with. Oh my god! You know and oh, oh let me go. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks. Now it's on the ground.
1: Um, uh, that's, gonna- but that that's that's not just. That's not sexism as much as it is like southernerism. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah. And so I, it's like I
5: understand the intention behind it. But stop it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The, the the men that do it actually are coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. And I also don't want to get that confused though with um I'm a very safety conscious person. But no matter what, I still stand up, even if I'm annoying. <laughs> Even if I, you know, it holds up production for a second, like these things need to be talked about. And I don't think that women should be disrespected for standing up. We got to take care of each other. Have to. We have some more
3: for you, listeners. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor
2: Snag a job is where America goes to hire
3: I feel like we could we could go on and on and on forever, but in the... <laughs> well, because it <you> can't. Time, <laughs> yeah, for time. Um, I like to try to to wrap these things up with what are some positive things that you're seeing, or what are things that you think actions we could take to, to improve the industry for everybody? I know we've already touched on getting more representation, um... But uh, I think things like that.
5: Um, well, I will say this. Um, even though I've had a baby and everybody knows I'm home, I get multiple calls every week from, from men that I've worked for in the set dressing department, lead men, um, set decorators, prop masters, and they don't care that I had a baby. They still want me back and they keep trying. And that makes me feel really good. And uh, I, I, I do want to say, I think the majority of the people that I've worked for in Atlanta, the majority of the men are really f-ing amazing people and very supportive. In fact, I have one that wants to hire me to come out and do some set dressing and have me work eight-hour days and um just wants to have me come out so that I can keep my health insurance going. You know, so I just want to say like I think that there are some very enlightened, empowering men here and I um I hope that that they're that the example that they are setting um is contagious and um and I I really appreciate the fact that Uh, that people are starting to really recognize that we need to support women intersectionally in this business, in all businesses, in this country, in the world right now. And we cannot just talk about white women. We can't. We have to talk about women of color. We have to talk about trans women. We have to talk about gay women all women we have to talk about ageism we have to talk about uh, women with disability it's not just white women it's so much more than that yeah yeah for sure what about you angela
3: do you have any
1: um i've seen some interesting things where um job sharing is uh, something that i've seen happen um that uh basically like if it's a second second that they'll alternate episodes if it's a episode, uh, episode of episodic T V show and they'll get a waiver so that they don't have to pay like if you once you your last day of work you're supposed to get like an extra check basically. So that way they're they don't keep getting last days every time they alternate, you know. Uh-huh. Um or you know, job sharing like that, like when you know you're going to have long days is you bring somebody in and they their minimum is a bare minimum so you use somebody for so many days and somebody else for so many days so that they have one job that's consistent but they're not working full-time, full-time. Yeah. I think a lot of the access programs, um, some are better than others, but they've been good about um, bringing people in um, just to meet some new faces. You know, I think um, a lot of Episodic shows in particular, features is going a little slower, but um, are doing, are intentionally trying to look for female directors. Um, a little bit of what's happening is all the ones who are already working are just working a lot more now. So, but they're being better about bringing in new voices and new people. Unfortunately, sometimes it's being made a, mis- uh, a scapegoat. So, like if you have 12 episodes of something, producers will tell the guy they didn't hire oh, well, we had to hold these two slots for women. And so in their mind, a woman took their job when really the eight guys that got the episodes, they should have just been better than them and they would have got the job. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of kind of blaming, like, you know, uh, oh, that person is the reason you're not working when that's not, like, diversity is not taking your job. It's it's (laughs) not. So, but I, you know, slowly but surely, from what I've seen... Atlanta's, Atlanta's sets tend to be more diverse in general, but even when I go back to L.A. to shows, I'm seeing a lot more. And then, like, on the screen, like, I went, I did an episode of One Day at a Time, and it was, like, beautiful because I'm used to seeing shows when it's, like, about people of color, the people behind the scenes often. Like, I'm sorry, like, we talked to Oscars. Like, last night, it was Green Book. Like, center stage was all the white dudes. Octavia Spencer was, weird over here mm-hmm. is one of the producers and they only mentioned her way at the end you know what i'm saying yeah like that seems to be the pattern and telling the stories of people of color like one day at a time was a great show because it was all there was uh latinx writers and producers as well as lgbtq writers and producers on the show to write the stories about this Cuban american in la and her gay daughter and the traditional mom and the son and like it's nice to see that, mm-hmm. um, and not just be you know a bunch of white dudes from Harvard Ugh. trying to write up you know yeah what's what's really going on, but yeah it's I've been having a good I've been having a good
5: time and go see the movies that are directed by women of color, you know go see the movies that are that are directed by um, people in the LGBTQ community, um, God when I. When I think about how many movies I grew up seeing that were just, like, so male-dominated, it makes me sick. I'm even, you know, I'm going back and even listening to a lot of the bands I used to listen to, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's a bunch of white dudes. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. But um, let me get a sip of tea here. <laughs> no,
1: but I think part of it is, again, was what are you used to? I think when people get used to seeing, like, Wonder Woman was a big deal so that Captain Marvel isn't as much of a big deal. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it's not a deal at all. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So when we, the nostalgia of, oh my God, Sixteen Candles was such a great movie and then you watch it again and are horrified at how awful, sexist and racist Mm -hmm. and and like rapey the whole
5: movie is. Yeah.
1: And Jake Ryan's a dick. He's not an ideal guy. You know, like, (laughs) who like, but you know, but that's what you're used to seeing. That was something that's normal. So as, there's a new normal is introduced, and as new people are uh, enforcing the new normal, um, to me, that makes it a little easier for, for us chicks to get ahead, you know?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've done episode after episode after episode where the um, studies have shown that seeing yourself represented really impacts the things that you think that you can do. Mm-hmm. And so, like you're saying, getting more people working on that set and then younger people can see that. And think that that is an option for them as well, instead of like it's just closed off. I've never seen someone who looks like me that does that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big deal. Yeah. So and
1: I've, it may not even be conscious. It's women who go to film school who don't even try to become directors because they don't <laughs> see. Yeah. They go. It's going to be too. That fight is a harder fight than I think I'm able to yeah. do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And honestly, that's why I didn't go into being a director right away. Same. Partly because of that, I was, you know, I, in my family, the arts, my arts careers were kind of shunned as like, look what happens to everybody in our family who's an artist. is They're yeah. all broken. They, you know, they, my dad worked for, I, you know, worked for a business and, you know, I should be a lawyer mm-hmm. or something or an office, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so now that it's, I don't know, now that the new normal is becoming the new normal, mm-hmm. it's it's getting a little bit better, I think.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, So
3: I just want to thank you both so much for being here. Um, Is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up? I know time is of the essence. Uh,
5: No, black girl magic. Black girl magic. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, So this is optional
5: intersectional gender equality.
3: <laughs> We're just saying phrases now. <laughs> <Yeah>. um,
1: <laughs> where can listeners find you? Oh, um, I'm on Instagram. Love Angela Gomes. I um, don't. I technically, I tw- Twitter is the same thing. Love Angela Gomes, but I don't ever tweet anything. I always just post pictures. Um, and then IMDb is where they can find the kind of stuff I've been working on. So I just did some American Soul. And did legacies and did ambitions, and I'm about to go do Family Reunion for Netflix, which will be fun.
3: Cool.
5: Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's awesome. my stuff. Um. Well, my IMDb desperately needs to be updated, <laughs> and um, you can't really find me anywhere unless you're my friend on Facebook or Instagram because I'm kind of weird about people looking at my kid that um, don't know her. I think that's. Pretty legit. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many people
1: don't care, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Um, uh, But uh, you can probably find some uh, videos of me playing the drums out there somewhere. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) Brave. Brave area. But other than that, you you can find me in my kids' preschool classroom as a classroom uh, mom supporter, PTAC type. I'll oh. be back, though. Oh, yes, I will. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will. You're you're both doing amazing work. I'm so thrilled that you came in. Um, and listeners, you should totally keep an eye out for the work that they do in the future. And in the meantime, if you would like to email us, you can. Our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at stuff mom never told you. Thanks as always to our producer, Andrew Howard, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>